Give him a big NCS Franklin welcome. Hey. Are we sitting? Uh, you can sit or stand. What do you want to do? Sit uh, down? Yeah, let's sit. Okay, let's sit down. Um, you know, um, speaking about pulling the veil down while we're at it, oh, Larry wants us to say that you can sign up for our email list, which you get, what, two a month? That's it? Every now and then we give you some propaganda, but it's pretty rare. And we don't ask you to tithe to us either. Um, just saying. Um, so talk about pulling the veil down. Um, I have this theory that says if, if you know yourself, you know every other guy in the room. So I know myself. So would you like me to confess your sins to you this morning <laughs> so that you don't have to? Is this pulling the veil down? Perfect. Perfect. Okay, great. Uh, this morning, um, every now and then, we, you know, we, we usually have a speaker... And every now and then we have the opportunity to have a conversation. So this is one of those mornings. Uh, Lance uh, has been in this city how many years? Ten years. Ten years. Yep, and ten why years. did you come to Nashville? We moved down here when, um, and, and we also, we're not from New York. We lived in New York for six years. I'm originally from Oklahoma. Um, my wife and I. Is anybody else here from Oklahoma? You're a rare breed. Wow. Okay. I lived in Virginia. I moved 26 times, so I guarantee you I've lived. Yeah. Overlap somewhere. Um, there you go. Okay. I grew up in Virginia. That's kind of close enough. No. Uh, we moved down here with a nonprofit called Q Ideas right after we had our first uh, our first child. Yeah. So and how many babies you got? How we've got kids? three. We've got three. So how we've old got are they? Uh, Rosie's nine. Charlie is seven, and Henry is five, so we're in the middle of it right I now. I love the name Henry. Henry, Have yeah. you taught him I'm Henry VIII? Have you taught him that song? Uh, no, I haven't. I can sing it for you in German if you want to, but then we'll Perfect, yeah. Let me call him. Ich bin Henry VIII, ich bin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for any of you German guys out here. Okay, so you got three kids. We uh, do, yeah. How did you meet your wife? What, what, what happened there? Yeah, so in New York... Uh, I started an organization with a friend called Restore NYC. We were uh, we had heard about this thing called sex trafficking, mm -hmm. and we opened a safe house in New York for traffic victims. And uh, so we were at an event, and she was volunteering at a sister nonprofit called Reveal. And um, and so at that event, she went up and spoke, and then I went and followed her as she came down the stairs and. We talked that night and got engaged about six months later. And so. married three days after that, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah almost, that right. weekend. Yeah, that weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's interesting. So uh, while we're on this sex trafficking thing, this was one of the early things in your, your family life that stirred your hearts. Tell us a little bit about what, um, what was the motivation, what you see now going on. Do you see this in Tennessee? We're going to get into some other things, but I want to go back to family things for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so do we see that? Yeah, I mean, trafficking here is a real thing, uh, absolutely. Uh, how we in Tennessee going to kind of work on trafficking, uh, the TBI, Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, mm -hmm. they handle uh, kind of the intake of all the trafficking, and then there are, you know, the three grand divisions here in Tennessee. There are nonprofits in each of these grand divisions that do the aftercare. And so here in Middle Tennessee, in Cora, which was in slavery Tennessee, mm -hmm. now right. does all the aftercare. But um, the victims that we saw in New York were mostly international and were trafficked in. Um, there's a lot of domestic trafficking happening here in Tennessee. So a lot of a lot of the a lot of what you saw in New York was a little different because it was, you know, the caricature in the mind about trafficking often is 
this is this is what you just described. The international, you have this picture in your head. That's right. And the domestic trafficking is very different. Yeah, yeah, it's a little more nuanced. Um, and you know, when when you've been trafficked internationally, um, a lot of times it comes under the guise of I'm going to be I'm going to move to New York so that I can work, and right. then I'm going to work off a of debt so that I can send it back to my family. Yeah. Right. And you're in this perpetual cycle of paying off your debt, and uh, you're not making money fast enough. Oh, you can be, you can enter into prostitution. Yeah. yeah, it's like indentured slavery. Exactly, and a lot of times these women don't actually see themselves as trafficking victims. They see themselves as, well, I'm just prostituting to pay off my debt, right. not knowing that, no, this was the plan all along. Right. Exactly. Um, and then here, a lot of times trafficking takes on the face of a boyfriend. Somebody that is known, um, and uh, you know, a, a lot of our kids that are aging out of the foster care system, we have very vulnerable populations that are more susceptible to trafficking just because they don't have community. Yeah, and this was this was Centoya Brown Long's story. That's where right. She thought she, she thought her trafficker was her boyfriend. That's right. And very she, common. She never. I mean, even even after she was in prison, until I mean, she she went to prison when she was 16. It wasn't until about the age of 29 that she accepted the fact that she was a victim. Yep. There, was a, there was such a brainwashing, such a, a cult kind of experience, a one over one, over one domination yeah. from her trafficker that she couldn't understand. It's very common. That it's she all, was a victim. Well, because, you know, it's, it's odd to try to convince someone that you're a victim. Right. When they're saying, no, I'm not. This was, you know, this was a relationship that I'm in, and you're, hey, sorry to break the news to you. This was the plan all along. Exactly. And... Um, that's hard to that's hard to hear and accept and um, yeah. Well, let's let's jump back a little bit. So you came to work with Q, uh, yep. the Q conferences. You worked with them for five, four, four, four years, four, yeah. Five years, before right? they kicked me out, yeah. yeah. They kicked you out. Yeah, not really, but. You want to talk about that? Are you? No, well, that's we have, I am we second. We have some trauma therapists yeah. in the room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so so that happened, and then uh, soon after that, you were with I am second, right? Yep. Which is we, we somehow met either during the Q conferences or or the or the I am second. I I don't my memory's faded about that. Yeah. But talk a little bit about your experience with I am second, and and I want to get back after we talk about that to. Um, the things that were a part of your spiritual formation, because all of these things uh, inform both who you are now and how you got here, to me, is one of the most interesting things about anybody's story. It's mm. like, what's the formation in our life? But talk about yeah. I Am Second, maybe one of those experiences that really um, helped you see the world in a different sure. way. Who's familiar with I Am Second? Anyone? A few? Okay, great. Yeah, so... Um, you know, I am second a little history. A guy named Norm Miller, uh, the CEO at, at the time of Interstate Battery, basically had a dream. And, and the way that Interstate Battery spread was he used billboards to be kind of his marketing piece. This was 2005, 2006. Right. Had this dream. He was a part of E3, which is an international missions organization, and, and, and had this realization that we need to take care of our own Jerusalem. And, that, and for him, that was North Dallas. And, um, you know, I Am Second kind of took off like a rocket. It was, this is when YouTube kind of emerged. And so you have YouTube, which is this great marketing distribution, and you've got this great storytelling. And um, so for me, um, I had been at Q for four years and had this incredible opportunity to, to be the president of I Am Second and, and took it. And, um, you know, 
it's interesting the the way that I the, the reason why I'm second was successful was because you were looking at somebody that you knew or knew of right. and they were explaining their story of brokenness. Right. And there was it was kind of it was kind of um, a reintroduction a reintroduction to the Christian community that you could talk about sorrow that's right. in public. Yeah, and broke and brokenness. I mean yeah. that's the thing that all of us have in common. Not all of us have shared success, but we certainly all have shared brokenness. Right. And so this person that maybe you esteemed was saying, hey, let me let me let you behind the veil. And um, the reality of my story is that I am broken, and here's how the Lord walked yeah. with me through right. my brokenness. And, um, you know, I think as, as we talk about kind of my faith, that is the thing that qualifies us to Jesus is our brokenness. Right. And uh, because it was kind of an influence, influencer marketing strategy, people gravitated towards it. Um, now, my kind of my issue with I am second and, and what eventually I've, I've spent a lot of time doing was, okay, well, now what? I've heard this story, now what? And um, as many of you all know that are here, the value of community. I mean, you can be inspired, and, and inspiration's great, and that moment of realizing, okay, it's okay for me to be broken, but how do we get people into community faster right. is, uh, you know, that, that kind of became the goal. So, so this part of your personal journey was um, both formative, but it was also by this time, uh, you had this as a core value of your life to say, we need to acknowledge the brokenness, we need to uh, be honest about who we are, we need to live our life in community, in a life-giving community, Give us a little bit of a snippet about your journey getting to that point, because usually there's a journey involved, yeah. there's some kind of a story involved, there's some sort of a process until we learn it's okay to be that open. Sure, yeah, I think a lot of it is about safe safe spaces, right? Um, if you can't be honest, number one, with yourself, uh, or honest with those that are around you, um, I think that's where the enemy really breeds lies, right. and we start believing those lies to be true about ourselves. And uh, for me, uh, even starting college, I mean, I had a mentor that I spent every single week with, ah. and um, he, he uses this term now called um, adventure discipleship. And um, we would go spear fishing, and we'd go, you know hog hunting and do all these things outdoors and he was able to integrate kind of the outdoors into just spending time with a bunch of young college guys and we thought we were just having fun I mean that that's kind of the the beauty of it we thought we were just having fun and going on adventures the reality is we were we were it was the it was the conversations that we were having to and from wherever we were going or if we were up late one night um, and so being being mentored uh, was the key. And then when I was in my uh, mid-20s, um, there's a, another guy that kind of reached out to me, took me under his wing. I, I call him an old-timer. He's since passed. Um, old, but, as, old as the guys in the room? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 like guys, yeah. yeah. We're old-timers, okay. That's right, yeah. which is a badge of honor. I mean, um, I, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think enough guys with, with some gray hair realize how significant their age and experience is. And if, if they stepped into that and owned that and were okay with that, um, there's, there's immense value in being fathers and grandfathers to the Christian faith. And so 
this guy was very comfortable. Um, and, you know, similarly, he invited me to go fly fishing out in Montana. And, uh, you know, we, for the last... 12 years we've been, we were supposed to be on one of those trips together and you were yeah you, you turned down my invitation I turned down your invitation yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i had to bring that up okay but but that's you know it, it it was it was always doing something together it wasn't as it wasn't as much this as it was shoulder to shoulder yeah. and, and i think that i think that's one of the things that's really important <clears throat> because one of the one of the things that Lance and I talk about are what, are what are action points for our community of life? What can we do? You know, are we just sitting around retiring? Is there something we can do? And, and, and there are so many young guys that would value time with us. Absolutely. And it's hard to believe they would like time with me. And we think, well, how am I going to do this thing when it ought to be shoulder to shoulder, maybe, maybe having an adventure, maybe going somewhere, maybe getting involved with JT uh, with one of his projects or, or something else going on? There's so many opportunities That's right. like that. So let, let's talk about um, where you are now. You're at the governor's office on the faith initiative yep. and community outreach. How did that happen, and what are the objectives of, of, uh, of this venture, which is a new thing for it the is, state of yeah. Tennessee? It is, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so the office is called the Governor's Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives. I've been there for 13, 14 months. And, um, you know, being that we're in Williamson County, I would I would guess a lot of you all probably know the governor personally. I He's, didn't. He spoke right here, sat right there. Yeah, wow, yeah. that's a huge honor yeah. uh, to be share the stage. Yeah. Um, you know, it was totally the Lord. I was so after I am second, I was a part of a nonprofit that um, we started during COVID and yeah. the hardest three four years of my life, and just felt like the Lord was like, I don't want you to leave yet. I want you to keep holding on to this, which made no sense for our family. And I got a phone call on a Friday afternoon from our pastor. And um, he, he basically said, hey, we were having lunch with the governor. And this, and he was talking about this position. And we, we basically said, we know your guy. And within about a week, um, I had gone to the Capitol, met with the governor, which I had never done. I knew nothing about politics. And Do you know anything now about politics? Well, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We weren't supposed to talk about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and, and, yeah, so, so started last, last September. Yeah. And, and so what, what does the office want to do? What, what is your vision mm. for, I mean, part of, part of the uh, directorship, I would assume, is that, while uh, Governor Lee has has uh, thoughts about what he would like to see happen, there's a lot of room for creativity for you to develop. What what is the initiative? What 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 yeah. are the objectives going to be? Talk to us about that, and about some of the things that you're. You know, what do you see in Tennessee that you didn't see before you were, were yeah. doing this? Yeah, I think it's important to know. You know, he's kind of become, at least in our circles, famous for saying government is not the answer. Um, you know, and and that the only way we're going to solve our, you know, complex problems in society is is through the people that live in these in these communities. Yeah. And um, so when you know when I took the job and started understanding, you know, what is the opportunity here and what are the things that you want to focus on at the time? You know, he had four and a half years left. Now we've got a little over three. Um, there were a few buckets that he he really saw that um, the faith community. So we work with 
the faith community, we work with a lot of nonprofits. We also work with companies that uh, are, are trying to engage in doing good for the local community. And, and so it's really this, how do, we, how do we take what typically comes through the front door of state government mm -hmm. and solve it with public-private partnerships? How do we allow the church to do what the church does? How do we get out of the way of the church? Right. Um, and so the things, that, the things that right now that I spend most of my time on um, are all things child welfare and understanding the child welfare space is, is really, really important um, because that's about as far upstream as you're going to go. Right. Um, and, and then we also focus a lot on the, the incarceration reentry space. Uh, we focus a lot on poverty in general. Housing is kind of at the epicenter of any time you're working with a vulnerable population, housing is always uh, going to be right there. So, you know, housing, transportation, food insecurity. Uh, and, and we're not just talking about downtown, you know, um, Memphis or downtown Knoxville or we're talking about rural Tennessee. I mean, as you all know, most of Tennessee is rural. There's 95 counties. There's about four or five counties. And while it's disproportionate that people live in those counties, there's a lot of Tennesseans that live kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So um, when you listen to Governor Lee um, publicly or even in private, he will tell you that the reason he ran for governor was uh, he wanted to do education reform and he wanted to do prison reform. That's right. Do you want to you tap into that a little bit? Sure. What's going on? Sure, yeah. So, um, <coughs> you know, 25 years ago, the governor was running, you know, Lee Company and was volunteering with an organization called Men of Valor. Show of hands, who's heard of Men of Valor? Their marketing's a little better than I am second, apparently. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I think he thought, hey, I'm going to go in and I'm going to help this, this young man as he comes out of custody. And, um, and the reality is he'd tell you is that that young man actually helped him. Right. And so uh, that's often the case, right? When you start, we kind of come in with this, save your mentality if we're going to save the day and I got a few things to teach you and da 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 and then you realize like oh this is actually far more complicated and nuanced right. um, and so it, that was a big motivation for him is going and understanding I mean it is nearly impossible when you are released from prison to stay out of prison yeah. depending on yeah. the community that you have the resources that you have available um, and so, yeah, that was that was a big part I'll of I'll never history. forget the, one of the days we were <clears throat> at the Tennessee Women's Prison and uh, visiting Centoya Brown, and she was going to get out. We knew the date that she was going to get out. And we were standing at the guard gate waiting to get in and waiting for whatever process had to happen. And one of the ladies who had been at the Tennessee Women's Prison, probably um, around the age of 60, um, maybe in her 50s, um, her grandmother was still alive, uh, living over by Donaldson or something. She was waiting for a ride. She had everything that she had in a, in a, a black garbage bag. Mm -hmm. No way to get where she was going, didn't have a job, had a place to sleep, and that was it. Right. And, and so I think this is more common 
um, than we know, you know, being in our little bubble life that we live, um, which I'm thankful for, right. but I don't want to stay in the bubble and be unaware. Uh, one of the one of the thoughts that occurred to me: how many how many people in the room are involved in a nonprofit of some kind or another? Raise your hand or stand up so we can see you. All right. So the resources in this room are phenomenal. Right. Uh, the, the people in here, the creative thought that's going on, the, the work that has been done. And I don't know if, if you, I mean, I don't know how you connect with Lance uh, in the office, but if there's some connection, we want to encourage, we want to encourage um, you uh, to be in touch with Lance and let him know what you're up to. Maybe you already have a good sense of it, but there's, I mean, if in one room there's that many people involved in some kind of a nonprofit uh, outreach for the betterment of the right. community, that to me is extraordinarily encouraging. And for the guys who aren't involved, uh, somebody stood up close to where you are and asked, how can I help as an action point, right? That's right. Yeah, well, I brought my trusty Bible here with me. Um, I get the question a lot, how do, I, how do I help, right? And you guys have all heard the saying, you know, never, never trust a man that doesn't walk with a limp. So in the same way that we started, we are all, we've all gone through stuff. I mean, if we're, not, if we're not in a storm, we're in between storms, right? That's just kind of how life works. It's unfortunate, but it is a reality. And the, the reality is that we're not alone in the storm. Right. And a lot of people are alone in the storm, but we are not. Um, there's a there's there's two verses that I want to share with you today. One that comes out of Second Corinthians one in one four it says, uh, or three and four, um, blessed be the God of our Father Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Mm. This is the part we miss, so that we may be able to comfort those who are any affliction with the comfort which we received from God. And so it's an economy. I mean, it's truly an economy. It's we walk through stuff. The Lord is there. He's faithful. That is, that is something that we have to share with other people. It's, it's actually not to be kept to ourself, right? And um, it's, it's a beautiful picture of how we add value. I mean, you might be sitting in here thinking, well, what do, you know, what do I have to offer to someone coming out of prison? Or what do I have to offer to a, a, a child that's in you know, custody? Um, we've all walked through storms. We've all walked through things that are, are hard and difficult, and we've all been comforted by the Father. That is the same comfort that we get to, to use. And then, and then the other... Um, Sorry, I'm preaching at you this morning. You're not, you're not, you're not a bad Preach. preacher. That's pretty okay. good. <clears throat> All right, so this is out of, um, this is out of Romans 15. And, and let me just remind you, we're sitting in the wealthiest county in the state, uh, in, in the fastest-growing economy in the country. I mean, we could go on and on about why God has blessed Tennessee in a way that is we've never seen before in history. Um, people are moving here in droves. Yeah. God's favor is, is here, and it's, it's beautiful to watch. Um, so it says, we who are strong, which is this group right here, we have an obligation 
to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Another version says, strength is for service, not for status. Let us each let let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for Christ did not please himself but it is written the reproaches of those who reproach fell on me and and what that means is the the hardship of our neighbors those are our hardships we take responsibility for the hardships of our neighbor and, and I think a lot of what we struggle to do sometimes is figure out, well, who is my neighbor? Who is God calling me to be my neighbor? And, uh, and so I would leave you kind of with, with those verses this morning. When, when we had Jeff Long, who was the sheriff here in Franklin, uh, come speak, I asked him the question, uh, what's it like being the sheriff in the um, wealthiest county in Tennessee? And he said, it's not what you think. He said, uh, there is a, there's a line of demarcation. He said, there are, there are homes in Williamson County that have dirt floors and no indoor plumbing. And again, this is speaking to our bubble and speaking to our awareness. Part of what we want to do with these microphones and with our group is, is to live in an increasing level of awareness about the community that we live in and an increasing level of awareness about uh, where, what our role is in this, uh, not just to uh, be so pleased that we're the wealthiest county, but what do we do with this right. incredible gift that God has given? Uh, we, have a, we have a few minutes, and I wonder, um, with the brilliant minds that we have in this room, what questions you might have for Lance? Anybody uh -huh. have a question you'd like to um, throw out for conversation uh, back here? Great question. Say it again. What what happens to the governor's initiative after after he leaves office? Um, so one thing is helpful to know is that uh, the governor was not the first person to set this office up. This this office was actually started under uh, under Bush George George W. w. Bush, yeah. and and there has been a faith based office uh, federally since you know obama i mean there's there's a faith-based office now and so while that's a good question is will it have you know we have a we have a long leash as i like to say and we get to work you know kind of at the uh, the request of the governor the question is what will the next governor do with the faith-based office we're, we're working hard to really make sure that um, this office is established my point, my, my position is appointed. I cannot speak to who the next governor will be, um, but you know that really, time will tell. <laughs> if we get another man of God that sees value in allowing the church and allowing people of faith to intersect with what's happening uh, in state government, we're just getting started. I mean, truly, we're just getting started. Um, if they don't see that value, it will be hard for this office to be relevant. It will be more like window dressing. Uh, when you say support, are you saying funding? Yeah. Great question. So up until a year ago, we were privately funded. Uh, this past legislation, we, we, we had to change some a, a, a 
policy, essentially, that allowed our office to receive public dollars. And so all 1.2 of that reoccurring dollars come from the state. It's a good, it's a good question, though. Anybody else? Brian? Yeah. Yeah, great question. Um, you know, to be honest, there's not great data on trafficking. Uh, we just did this project called Engage Together. It's a essentially a collective impact model. It pulls law enforcement, it, you know, state law enforcement, federal law enforcement, all the nonprofits that work on this, and they estimate that they know 10% of the data on trafficking total. So... We have a long way to go. Um, I just found out, what is today? Thursday. Thursday. I found out mon uh, Monday that, that Tennessee lost its federal funding for our trafficking unit. And um, so we're, we're trying to figure out how to, are there private foundations that could pay for that? We're talking about TBI officers. We're talking about the funding that goes to streamline these processes. Um, and so... There's a lot of work to be done there uh, that we're, we're still figuring it out. Um, and then what, you know, what are the, what are the needs? I mean, gosh, that, that's, a, that's a really great question. And while it would be great to say, hey, go do A, B, and C, uh, to me, it's, it's actually, it's, it's far more complex. There's a guy sitting at the bar named Steve. Steve, can you wave your hand? So I'm gonna do a bad job telling his story, but I need, I need you guys to do what Steve did. And that is Steve spent 40 years in, in, in commercial kind of building hospitals. And uh, two years ago, he said, I've got 40 years of experience and relationships. And I'm going to take those 40 years of experience and relationships, and I'm going to see how I can help the kingdom. And so he started something called ShareBuilt, which means a nonprofit can go to him that is, you know, refuge center here in town. Hey, we're, we've, we're, you know, doing a big building campaign and we don't know how to do that. Will you work with us? So, so they pull together all the, the potential contractors to come bid on the project. They walk through the architecture, they walk through the build out, they help them with project management and, and, and the whole building process. Well, you know, if, if Steve was here five years ago and I said, hey, Steve, go and get involved with human trafficking. Well, no, Steve, take what you've been doing for the last four decades and apply it to helping nonprofits and kingdom projects that are happening in your area. And so what I would say when you, when you ask what, what can we do, I would say you, you, you all have incredible gifts you all have incredible experience. You all have relationships. Lean into that. You know, really lean into how can I take my experience, my relationships, and and leverage those for kingdom building. Uh, and I think that's the call to all of us. You know, there, there's no exception to that call. 
Um, in terms of our office in particular, we, we are focusing, this year we're rebranding engagement with child welfare. Uh, in Q1 of next year, you'll see a campaign called Every Child Tennessee. Um, we wanna change, right now kids are waiting for placement, we wanna change that adults are waiting for a placement. We wanna change the fact that when a kid comes into custody, there's so many families that are ready to foster and adopt that it's the families that are waiting and not the kids. So that's, you know, that may, that may be you, that may not be you. Um, but that's, that's a big effort for us. That's, and like I said, that's as far upstream as you're gonna get on things like incarceration. I mean, kids that age out of the foster care system, I mean, listen, listen to these stats. Kids that age out of the foster care system, between those that are homeless and incarcerated, it's 80%, 80% are either incarcerated or they're homeless by the time they're 21 years old. Last year, we had 801 children that aged out of the foster care system. So, you know, if incarceration's your thing, or reentry, if trafficking, I mean, a ton of these kids are going to be trafficked. They have no family, they have no community. They're 18 years old. And so how do we engage and invest when they're four, five, six, seven, 10, 12 years old, so that in seven, eight, nine, 10 years, they're not the ones that are incarcerated or committing offenses. We're, we're out of time, but what I'm hearing you say is that unless there is a public-private cooperation, your office isn't impotent, but, but can't be nearly as effective as, as, as what happens when the churches, the nonprofits, the, the, the private sector unites with the mission. That's right. And there's so much to do. Do you have a closing statement and then we're done? No, just thank you for your time this morning. If something that I said, um, you know, you felt compelled, I've got lots of cards. I'd love to give you one and we can go grab coffee and talk more about, um, yeah, anything that you're, you're feeling, God stirring up. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And if you want to go fishing, let me know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys.